Hello and welcome to another Balance and Wellbeing podcast with Parents at Work. Welcome to 2020. It's great to be with you. My name's Sam Eddy. Today we're talking about myth-busting food to get the year started. Um, as always, I have with me my co-host Katie Walls. Katie, how are you? I'm very well. Hello, everyone. It's good to be back talking with you again, talking about all these great topics. Um, I've got a slightly different format this year where we're going to be doing one a quarter. Um, and as I said at the start, today we're talking about myth-busting food. So we're going to look at a lot of the myths um, that surround food. For example, the food pyramid. Oh, everyone's probably heard of that growing up. It's been used a lot. It's been changed over time. We're going to look at what it is, what it consists of. Um, and is it the ideal basis for you know a healthy eating plan, if you like? We're going to look at that. We're going to talk about things like superfoods, other fads, what actually makes you healthy. But we're going to kind of do a bit of a deep dive in terms of what do you, helping you figure out what you need for you, sort of dropping the comparison. Often we're looking at others and seeing what they're eating, but trying to figure out what's important to you from a food perspective in terms of your goals, how to make uh, help you make confident food choices um, it's important to think about obviously balance as well but does balance mean necessarily a whole heap of variety often we're plagued with the challenge of trying to come up with new and inventive meals particularly for busy working parents it, you know does good balance have to mean variety for example so we're going to talk through a lot of these things um, just before we get started I guess it's good to do a bit of a disclaimer and just say you know that the um information we're giving we might reference a few sources but it's primarily based on um, our own experience it's not specific nutrition advice for you so if you're looking for specific advice go and get um, see a professional or see someone that you're comfortable with to get advice from Um, so this is just generic advice it's ideas for you and themes for you to think about to make your own decisions around the food that you eat um, my name's Sam Eddy. I've been working in workplace wellbeing for a number of years now with a whole range of organisations. I've been with Parents at Work for three years. I have a background in marketing prior to moving into this space in leadership roles, to helping people from a career perspective. But I also retrained, did a psychology master's, trained in counselling and helped people with a whole range of things to do with wellbeing. Um, Katie, it'd be great to just to hear more about your background. Yeah, thank you, Sam. So my background's um, specialising in complementary healing and well-being, and um, the other the other side of my career has been corporate human resource management. So it's it's a great. I really enjoy the um, the they both complement each other really well. Absolutely, I find the same. Particularly mm. when you know we're working with busy organisations, that sort of corporate background really helps, doesn't it, from understanding, yeah, particularly for busy working parents. Yeah. Yeah, good insight. <laughs> Absolutely. So maybe it's maybe the food pyramid is a good place to start because it's something we've probably all seen. It has changed over the years. And if you're listening and you want a resource for it, um, just, just to have one example of what a healthy eating pyramid or, or a recommendation for a healthy eating pyramid is nutritionaustralia.org. Um, and they have their pyramid effectively um, consists of um, going from the bottom to the top in terms of the, the food groups that you should be eating more of at the bottom and less of at the top. So we've got here um, in terms of their recommendations, vegetables and legumes um, and some fruit at the bottom in terms of that should form the bulk of your diet. You then next got grains um, and dairy. 
oh, sorry, you've got grains primarily, and then above that you've got dairy, so milk, yogurt, cheeses, and alternatives, lean meats, fish, eggs, nuts, seeds, legumes, for example, as well. So obviously different types. And then at the very top, you've just got a small portion allocated for healthy fats. So that's a recommendation. Um, I mean, what, what do you think about the food pyramid, Katie? Is that still a, a basis for a good source of recommendation in terms of healthy eating? Yeah, there's a little bit of controversy around it now. Um, definitely going back, if you looked at the recommended servings, I was looking at that probably about 10 years ago and I thought I'd be eating all day if um, I was trying to get that amount of food. <laughs> and I just got a little bit overwhelmed, to be honest, and especially when I was studying nutrition um, from, from that perspective and just the advice. And I think you've also got to look at what the effect is of the food in your body. And that varies from person to person. So if we just um, stayed with kind of a strict outline of this is what we should be doing, that doesn't kind of account for how does our body digest certain foods. So that that's a really important aspect. And um, for a lot of people, they'll have wheat intolerances or reactions or allergies. And you've got to look at also dairy. Dairy causes a lot of reactions in the body as well and sensitivities, allergies, intolerances. So if we were if we were just staying with um, the headspace of, well, I have to have this because it's supposedly healthy for my body, and we were ignoring the fact that our body is saying, actually, that doesn't work for me and you're going to have to find a substitute, then we wouldn't be feeling so great even though we're thinking we're doing what's right. And fortunately, there are a lot of substitutes for food. For example, if someone's got a dairy um, allergy or intolerance, there's soy products, there's almond products, there's rice milks, etc. And there's a bit of a myth with calcium absorption. Um, you know, dairy, the dairy corporation does promote very much the calcium aspects in their products. But we've also got to look at, but what's the digestion of that calcium? And there may be some more favorable um, items that support that calcium digestion in the body for a lot of people as well. So it, it's kind of taking matters into our own hands, so to speak, in well, my body is kind of the best marker for letting me know how I'm going with digesting these foods and assessing how you feel after you're eating a meal. Do you feel energized? Do you feel sluggish? How's that working for you? And, and doing a bit of um, a diary over a couple of week periods. And you may find that you're reacting to certain foods that you didn't realize. That's a good place to start. Absolutely. And you're right. The, the healthy eating pyramid is a very general guide and it doesn't really necessarily help you figure out as an individual how you feel. It doesn't really sort of give you any advice or recommendations around well, um, in terms of monitoring how you feel and what's going on with your body, how are your energy levels, um, how's your gut, how you're feeling, are you getting you know stomach pains or are you getting reactions, are you feeling bloated? all that sort of stuff when we're consuming these foods because obviously foods have different effects for people. And as you talked about, Katie, all the intolerances. Um, and I guess I'd say link to that, you know, what's going on in your life at the time. Because if you're doing a food diary, which I think is a great place to start, is to really be conscious and try and monitor what how your diet's impacting you. What else is going on? Are you, you know, you working crazy times, uh, you know, really long hours at work, for example, you're really pushing it and so perhaps your digestion's not being able to process because you, you, your stress response is active digestion is then suppressed 
so that it's you know that's a, an extra factor coming in which will impact how you're processing food as well yeah so there's absolutely. there's a whole range of things to think about i would also say it's good to do to kind of be your own guru in regard to this stuff so you know you have a look at the food pyramid as an example or another source of uh, say a healthy eating recommendation and do your own research get onto google scholar have a look at um, what you think because there is so much research out there but it's good to understand where the research is coming from how many studies there are um, who's um, doing the research because you know anytime human human beings are doing research is where there's always going to be some form of bias it might be an appropriate amount of bias it might be declared so you can see it but it's just good to understand that um it's good to also know for in terms of nutrition australia um they're an independent organization and i'm sure they have you know a lot of good advice but um they are also partly funded by some food groups for example um dairy which is understandable but we've just got to understand that um you know of course biases can come in with any recommendation so it's just good to think about those as well mm. actually on that point um, i was just doing a bit of recent research and there was a study that um, looked at denmark and the usa so countries where people were were drinking more milk and then countries such as japan and singapore that are not drinking as much and what they found was um, there was not a whole lot of difference in the frequency of broken bones, age, osteoporosis, or dental problems. So drinking a lot of milk was so important, as we've pre previously been told, um, we'd see more bone, tooth problems, et cetera, in the countries that were drinking or consuming less dairy. So I, I just found that was interesting. Well, it is. It's fascinating, isn't it? And you can kind of get in your own bubble a bit, I guess, in terms of a cultural bubble as well. In terms of what you know, you're brought up on in terms of what is the you know what is an appropriate diet, and it made me think as you were talking around breakfast, Katie. You know, are often told that's the first, all uh, the most important meal. You can have it, you know, in the day, and you, I guess you can sort of think, oh well, yeah, I need energy in the morning. I need to get up. I need to sort of feed myself to fill myself for the day. Um, but interestingly for me, from my personal experience, I've just been, uh, over the last year, I sort of changed things up, did a lot of research around um, intermittent fasting. So this is obviously, again, not advice if, if you're listening, but this is just my personal experience where I basically don't really eat anything from, say, 8 p.m. at night mm -hmm. to um, about midday the next day. So just giving my yep. body a bit of a break, I found my energy same. levels were going you know yep. really up and down spiking I'd sort of you know I'd eat a big bowl of oats in the morning and you know, some eggs and um, I was really filling myself up but I just wasn't particularly productive concentration energy I was feeling bloated and I did a lot of research into this and um, I have to say the effects um, of doing it are amazing I've um, I'm feeling better I'm leaner in terms of um, how I'm feeling and looking my energy levels are up. So, uh, you know, it, to me, that was something I always thought that you had to have a big breakfast. And uh, until I sort of started to do the research, and this is what you were saying, Katie, before, mm. started to really connect with, hang on, how is the food impacting me on a day-to-day -day level? No, oh, that's gorgeous. And I, I can totally relate to that, um, Sam. And for, for probably the five, last five years, I've been the same between eight and probably one during the day and even then I may not be hungry because for me, and again, this is personal, but dinner is a meal that I'll spend time preparing. You know, I'll, I'll eat quite well. So then when it got to the morning, I was still full from the dinner. 
So if I'd had and I was having breakfast and felt exactly the same sluggish and going because it was coming from my head that I should have mm. breakfast for the start for the day, but my body didn't need it because it was still digesting. And that makes sense really because if you're going to bed after dinner, you're not actually doing a lot. Your body's regenerating, but you're not actually um, you're using much energy. You're in a more rest state. Whereas for someone else, they may feel really hungry in the morning. My husband, he has to have breakfast. For him, that's a really important meal. Otherwise, he starts to get a headache, etc. So I love, I love what you're talking about. It, it's, it's going actually what's right for me because we can think we're doing the right thing, but it's actually yeah, contradicted to the body or what your body's asking for you at that time. And then that can also change as well, depending on what we're doing. If we're um, you know, doing more physical work at work, then we might need to change our eating habits around that. Or if we're going through a very stressful time, some people will lose weight when they get stressed. So it's always just looking at what does my body need um, in any given situation or time frame and adjusting accordingly with that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I guess it's, uh, I know for me from the, my fasting experience or just, to, it, sound, I, it sounds a bit silly at least in my mind to call it fasting. It just, it feels like it's an appropriate amount of time to not eat. Yeah, no, not <laughs> if, at all. If nothing else, it just because it, it doesn't feel like I'm fasting because I get up in yeah. the morning and I don't, I just don't feel hungry anymore, and I can do a full go to go to the gym, do a workout, work away, and sometimes I don't even, as you say, eat till one or a bit later if I'm, I can go and run a workshop for people, do coaching, so I'm still switched on. So it it just feels like my body's getting a, a break. You know, if I've had a gone out for a big meal and overindulge, it's also a great way to counterbalance. Yeah. Because it just feels like my body's able to process things. It has more energy to focus on just, you know. Gives it a rest to focus on what it needs to do (laughs) without putting more and more and more into it. It's like sometimes your body's like, can you just give me a break? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so, look, I guess the the learning for me was that I thought I needed breakfast and I had Mm. to do the research I had to really research it for me and, and be confident to what I wanted to try. But I also knew that it would there would be a point of pushback for my body. My body would would resist because I've been tra- I've trained it to eat in the morning for so many years. And so there was a period probably for you know, two weeks where I was like, oh, okay, I was feeling a bit lightheaded at times. Just because my body was so used to it, it was trying to get me to eat. But yeah. w- once I was able to get through that period, but with awareness, um, it was you know, it was relatively smooth sailing. So the the body gets used to it as well. It can kind of trick us. Yeah, absolutely. And on that point of tricking us, etc. So it can be a little bit confusing at times because you can go, well, I feel like this. I feel like having a lot of pasta or I feel like having a lot of bread or I feel like having something sweet. <laughs> so it's, it's starting to learn, is that coming from my head or is that actually something that my body nutritionally needs? So that leads us into the next area of comfort eating. And we know exactly what to eat when we're wanting comfort. And often we'll go to dairy foods um, because there's a comfort when you're a baby and you're having milk or if you have a bottle, there's a comfort, you know, kind of feeling in that. And I know that's that's what I used to do before I started to really see it and nail it. I just want a big milkshake or, um, you know, something that it would have a comforting feeling. Um, and then I started to look at going, well, yeah, I can, I can feel this is actually not supporting my body, so it's not coming from what my body feels like eating. 
So it's like, yes. why are you wanting that? And then I could nail exactly why. It was every time I was feeling a certain something, I'd, I'd want those foods. So it was more of a craving thing. And, and the same can go if you're craving a lot of potatoes because they can make you feel quite full and, and numb things in certain ways. Or it might be a lot of wheat or it might be a lot of bread. So just having that awareness that actually, okay, it might necessarily be coming from my body as, as something to support me. It could be coming because I don't want to feel certain aspects as well because food is the greatest way to um, revitalize ourselves and to support our nutrition, but it's also a very quick way of, of numbing ourselves as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, if, I mean, Katie, can I put you on the spot and just ask you, what do you, what do you think in terms of the, um, that food pyramid or, or more just generally in terms of food groups, just from your experience, yeah. what really works for you? I know people listening and going, well, what should I eat? What, you know, yeah. what do you recommend? Yeah. So I, there was a time where I'd really look at that and go, well, I should be doing this. And especially when the kids were young and I wanted to make sure they were getting all the nutrition that they needed. So I was going more from a theory aspect of what I should do. And then what was interesting, I was doing all the right things and my daughter um, had a lot of digestion problems. And so I had to go to a lot of specialists and a lot of um, really specialised, excuse me, medical centres. And they didn't really know what was going on at that stage as well. So this is going back 23 years. And what it turns out is she had um, dairy intolerances and they were really manifesting significant to, you know, she was screaming in pain for hours a day. And I just went, oh, my gosh, here I was going to all these well-trained specialists, but they it was still at a time where it wasn't really acknowledged to the extent it is now um, intolerances and allergies in the body. So mm. that's when I went, okay, here I have been doing everything right, ticking it off as a good parent should, and my child's been in all this pain and all I had to do was remove the dairy and the change in her life was so significant. So that's when I started to really research different aspects and found out that we actually had wheat intolerances as well. So if I just stayed doing what was right, um, life would have been fairly miserable uh, at that stage. And then I looked at, um, you know, just changing nutrition and seeing what, what we're absorbing well, what we weren't, et cetera, et cetera. So that was kind of the shift um, to empower myself with with food and the effects that it had, not just physically in the body, but emotionally on how we feel. Um, so, so now I do discern more. I, I will kind of go, great, that sounds good. Let's let's see what it actually feels like. And yeah. um, in relation to kids, if they're fussy eaters or if they've been sick, etc., that can cause a lot of stress because you're feeling well, they're not eating much, or or you think they're not getting enough nutrition. But if you look at their diet over a week, that gives you more of a reflection of how they're going rather than a day by day by day. Because there's a big thing out there as well that you have to have a lot of variety, whereas I found out you don't. And when you go on elimination diets, you actually cull it right back and the body's able to um, um, operate very effectively on that and then you just start slowly introducing. So, you know, just question that as well amongst you. The, the need for that huge variety often is coming maybe from our need of wanting to taste certain things, etc., but not necessarily from a nutrition point of view. And also the the marketing as well, isn't it? We often the media we see all these um, you know images of what we need, what we so we think we need in terms of variety. And I think there's an ad on TV that talks about you know having spaghetti bolognese over and over again, and 
we kind of hear these messages around that we need the variety so it's hard to think that you know we we you know we don't need it so we kind of then try and it becomes stressful we try and <laughs> overcomplicate yeah. it overthink it and and that can be true if we're not eating healthily you know that that you know there, there's an aspect absolutely that comes in if we're not eating healthy but if you if you've got vegetables and, and you're eating healthy and you know that allows a different perspective and another thing too with fruit um even though that's on the the healthy spectrum absolutely there's a high but there's a high content of sugar in fruit so when you're adjusting your your diet or you might be eliminating some um, sources of sugar often you can start craving more fruit um but just being yes. aware that you're actually there's a lot of sugar in fruit so just clocking that as well so would you say then that the bulk of you know diet that works for you is kind of really just fresh veggies absolutely yeah and a lot of green green leafy vegetables i'm just um loving that at the moment and there's, there's great things that you can do just even baking broccoli or um baking brussels sprouts or um you know mixing up your salads with kale and sprouts and um, all the different varieties of green leaf um, salad products too. So it might be that you're just feeling a bit bored with what you're having. So just having a look out there going, well, I, don't, I normally just stick to these items, seeing mm. what's out there just to jazz things up or even toasting some seeds or nuts and putting, putting those in the salad or cutting up some pear and um, having that or rocket, et cetera, so that you've just got some different flavours coming in or herbs. I love using herbs. So cutting yes. up a lot of herbs and, and that really jazzes up any recipe and that's adding a lot of vitamins. So you can put that in any of the cooked foods, stir fries, curries or salads, putting chives in there, um, coriander, basil. Yeah, actually I use a lot of herbs. How about you? What, what are you finding is working for you at the moment? Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, I just for context for people listening, I go to the gym quite a lot. I'm pretty active. I run a couple of times a week and, um, you know, for sort of work out pretty hard. So I, I do eat probably mostly veggies. I will still eat, you know, meat. Um, I, I sort of cut out a lot of sort of the grains, if you like. Mm-hmm. I don't have any intolerances, but I just felt my body was working overtime to process them um, and I, I, I guess I flipped my thinking in terms of healthy fats and I know Katie I think you mentioned this just before as we're sort of preparing for this podcast but um, I eat a lot of good fat and I've sort of switched um, from using carbohydrates as my fuel source to yep. more fats so um, healthy fats so, so yep. avocados and even a, you know, a bit of fat from meat is fine for me mm-hmm. um, um, that seems to work well, but I that was a big switch up for me. And I guess I should just say too, um, just for anyone listening, if you've sort of if you suffer with any issues around food eating, whether you have a you know, um, it's sort of it's particularly stressful for you, you might have been diagnosed with some sort of eating disorder. It's always good to get support too if you're thinking about switching up because a lot of this stuff can cause stress and pressure if you're changing up, you're getting other advice. So um, just take your time and, and get support if you need it if you're sort of thinking and listening along and thinking I need to change this or that, it can be stressful. So just um, if, you know, if you have um, um, any issues with it or you've experienced issues in the past, so I'll just encourage you to get some support if you're looking to make any changes. Just adding in there, and if you've got a medical condition, always seek medical support um, because that's that's a different, uh, you know, aspect and requirement. Um, so from that point of view, so we're just talking very general. 
yeah, sorry, back to you, Sam. Absolutely, yeah. No, I was, the reason why I mentioned that then was because I know that I'm sort of fasting and um, um, and looking at the sort of the amount of energy you're consuming um, or, you know, the amount of calories you have in food, it's good to sort of be aware of how much energy there is in the foods you're eating. But um, I sort of, I personally say avoid the, the calorie counting for some people because that can be, it can, it can cause a whole lot of stress. But it's just good to know generally, you know, how much energy are you using in a day? So, for example, if I'm working out hard, I'll probably eat a bit more. Whereas if I'm not working out in a day, I might eat a bit less. I might, you know, forgo a snack here or there. Um, not to sort of be too, to, to think, overthink it too much, but just to sort of try and get a, some sort of natural throat flow and rhythm to how I eat and just say, yeah, I don't feel as hungry because I've been, you know, using as much energy, for example, so to try and do it that way. Uh, does that all make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you've got to be relative to what, what's happening at the time. Um, but, but that's a super great point that you've made about the fats and I too would restrict fats or think, you know, that's not, not good. But the healthy fats are so nurturing for your body. And I've just gone, I, I will go crazy with the olive oil if I need to or coconut oil etc there's a lot of great nut oils as well and they just add a beautiful flavor to the food sesame oil is gorgeous and but just feeling and yeah not going from the calorie point of view um if if your diet's fairly healthy but just going actually tonight I feel like more of this or I feel like more of that and then seeing what the benefit is whether that works for you or not versus just restricting the whole time from the head Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I've I sort of even switched up in terms of things that I eat. I sort of sugar is kind of I know sugar gets a bad rap, but I have to sort of agree that I sort of avoid too much sugary stuff. Even though I have a bit of chocolate, but it's mostly dark chocolate. And I occasionally, I think the other day I was I usually eat sort of eighty five percent dark chocolate, for example. And I I, I bought the wrong packet. And it was seventy percent, and it just felt tasted so sweet. Yeah. Whereas before I'd be definitely having the milk chocolates or the, you know, the higher sugar things. And it's interesting how your tastes adjust. They do. For over salt time and, and for you, sugar. Yeah, absolutely. So all that stuff I used to consume, particularly as a, you know, younger, sort of more, you know, going to sort of more fast foods, etc. I just can't tolerate it and I just yeah. don't enjoy it anymore. It's a huge stimulant for the body. Like when you when you have sugar, what the body has to do to break it down, the reaction it has, and then the spike that it has, and then the drop afterwards, and then that leads you to want more sugar until you start to break that cycle. Um, but a lot of people, when they're when they're eradicating sugar or at least reducing it, you know, they have headaches and they have they have symptoms in the body because it's been used. The body's depleted, and it's been used to survive or get through, etc. So. Being very um, aware that when you are reducing your sugar, um, that things may come up for you, and and that's that's part of it because then you're actually seeing what the sugar has been a band aid for in your body, and then you can address what is the underlying aspect as to what you're needing to do to nurture yourself so that you're not relying on the sugar. It's a great process, but it's it, it can be quite surprising how much we do rely on on sugar. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yes. Um, and what's your you know view on meat, Katie? Because there's a lot of um, you know uh, information in the media, particularly about vegetarian or vegan lifestyles in terms of diet. I know for me personally, I still eat meat. 
Um, I do, I, have, I probably have an unresolved conflict in terms of um, harm to animals, which I haven't resolved <laughs> in my head. I mean, I still feel benefits from it. Yeah. But I mean, how do, how do people navigate that? Because there's so many messages coming out. I know it's a source of stress for a lot of people who yeah. still eat meat and maybe have an ethical concern, but haven't been, yeah. haven't stopped it. Perhaps uh, want the nutritious benefits of it. If there are any, what do you think? It's a, it's a really good question. And it's a big consciousness with that as well. And look, I mightn't be popular with this, but I've been asked a question. I'm, I'm always honest from that point of view. <laughs> um, there's a lot of fads. And, the, you know, there's a lot of people that are doing things because it's a trend and a lot of people that have suddenly become vegan um, and they like how it feels and they like what it gives them and they like the identity in that. There's others that are doing it for, for aspects that they feel within themselves and, and that's, that's different. Um, but it, I need meat. I'm, I've, I've tried my body without meat and I absolutely do need meat. It makes me feel good. It does certain um aspects in the body and I'll have days where I don't have any meat because I don't feel like it but other days where I do and look I think the hardest thing is we're so far from a humane um, raising of animals for consumption it, it, the greed mm. in, in that is just incredibly dis disgusting really with how the animals are treated and that's a bigger topic and that's a worldwide issue um, there are also farmers that are very humanely raising their meat um, in a very caring way for consumption. Unfortunately, that's the majority at this point in time. Um, but I feel if I stopped eating meat, that's not really going to address the issue. There's other things that need to happen to address that issue, and I can absolutely contribute to that where there's an opportunity to do so. So I'd just be saying is your reason to give up meat coming because it doesn't work for your body or is it coming from somewhere else? And then if you are giving up meat, are you substituting so that you're getting enough iron mm. or all the other aspects so that you're not going to be depleted? And it's a very personal question and a personal aspect. But I've seen a lot of people that go into fads and their bodies are depleted because they're not getting what they need because they're going into a, a way of eating that's not what supports their bodies absolutely yeah i think that's um that's really sound um you know calm advice for people because it's it's not easy to navigate these things <laughs> mm. um and it, it is good to um you know as you say try and look at the sources of where the food is coming from but also you know what's working for you and then look at your motivations as to why perhaps you're changing your diet or you're mm. adding things in or not you know um, and i guess overlaying all this is probably the other stuff we talk about you know, and, and many of the other podcasts. So if you're listening, you know, there's a whole heap of balance and wellbeing podcasts in terms of a back catalogue around stress, mental health, wellbeing. And I would sort of overlay everything we've said in terms of how are you feeling, stress rise, of course, you know, sugars, as we've sort of hinted at, and spike insulin can cause a stress if we're in a kind of a loop of needing to have sugars. But, you know, if work's really busy, if you've got relationship problems, if there's things going on, um, you know, maybe there's a heightened anxiety around obviously eco issues and bushfires at the moment, particularly in Australia. Um, you know, how are your stress levels? Because if we're not sort of doing the holistic thing and we're not putting food into how we are feeling overall and linking it in with everything else that's going on, 
we're only getting half the picture and we're kind of going to be trying to change food, but then we're, it, might, it might be hard because we're going to potentially crave those comfort foods because of all the other stresses going on in life. But also if we are karma and, you know, we've got a good balance at work, um, um, we're happy with in terms of how we're raising our kids, for example, our relationships, we've got great communication going on, then it's probably a lot easier to then figure out what foods are going to serve you in terms of the way you want, in terms of your goals, to give you the energy you need. Yeah, beautifully put. And also, um, I was just something came to me when you were speaking is um, if you haven't had a medical checkup in a while, and or if you've been feeling depleted for a long time, it may be a good point to get blood tests done just to see where where your levels are and to see if there's any um, pleasancy in any any aspect um, from your from a medical perspective that might be needed to be addressing as well um, especially as when you're looking at your diet the two the two work hand in hand absolutely um look katie good to talk to you as always this is a huge topic so hopefully for those listening um it's helped you know um sort of bust a few myths or at least share some experiences that we know have worked for us um we've obviously talked about the food pyramid we've sort of gone through most of those food categories on there obviously we talked about what's working for us and but really being conscious of what works for you in terms of taking a food diary being aware of how food interacts with you, how you're feeling, um, what's working for you. Anything else to add, um, Katie? Yeah, I, I feel that's quite a quite a lot in itself. But just to um, yeah, enjoy seeing what you see and what works for you. I think rather than feeling a pressure of I need to do this, I should be doing that. Is is to let that go, and um, to start afresh. And it's a new year, so it's a great time to to do that. And um, especially if there's aspects that, that have been niggling for a while that you've wanted to address, yeah, maybe now's a good time to look at that. Indeed, indeed. Um, well, look, um, good to talk to you again. Next time we're going to be talking about failure. Is it real or an illusion? So that's what we'll be talking about as our next podcast in a few months' time. A, you know, a really massive topic. Failure is something we all encounter in our life, whether it be working life or personal life. So uh, really something good to address. So I'll look forward to um, talking about that one with you, Katie, next time. Yeah, me too. That's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you've got any questions comments feedback we'd love to hear from you feel free to email us at info at parents at and we look forward to you joining us again online next time yeah thank you sam thanks everyone thank you for listening to another great podcast proudly brought to you by parents at work we hope you feel inspired and you've got some fresh practical ideas to help you with your work-life balance if you like what you've heard, please share it with others and subscribe to the Parents at Work podcast page. And remember, if you need extra support or would like to send us your feedback, please email info at parentsatwork.com.au.